There's a guy down the road from us on 173. There is. Excuse me. <laughs> yeah, I believe wow. it. Wow. Hey, you've been out to my house. It is a while. <laughs> well, that, that is true. You are kind of in the middle of nowhere. No, I guess he's on about 10 acres. And interestingly enough, he's right next to an Eastern Orthodox monastery. Oh, yeah. I think you were mentioning that. But he yeah. uh, he goes total Griswold. I mean, he has these like really? 60 foot pine trees and he must get a cherry picker or something because they're, they're lit to the top and wow. hundreds of like those, remember those like old school toy soldiers used to be able to get from like the big, like of the day box department stores, like you know, those the, little green army men. Is that no, what you're talking about? No, oh, no, 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 no. Like, you're talking about like the yeah, nutcracker yeah. soldiers or the light yeah, up yeah, and yeah. you know, the light up snowmans you used to get yeah. them from like places like, was it like wards or, uh, or, uh, oh, yeah. uh remember those, it, yeah, yeah. I, I'm, I'm losing the name, Polk yeah. brothers Pol- and yeah. stuff like that. Yeah. yeah. Woolworths and things. Yeah, yeah, right, yeah. right. Tori used to collect nutcrackers. Did she? Oh, yeah, she had a ton of them. Huh. And it was always funny because she, when she was younger, she was a little OCD. Just she liked her stuff the way it was. And yeah. so she would just line them up perfectly from small to large. I don't That's know awesome. how many she had, but the biggest one had to have been, had to have been three feet tall. Wow, yeah. And then she had some really tiny ones. And Yeah. Yeah. See, I couldn't do that. Only because it would creep me out at night. I'd be afraid that I'd hear this music and they'd come alive. <laughs> and you know, if you have that many, they could take you. Oh, yeah. Easily. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. Even, Even the little with those ones. wimpy kind of jaws, oh, you know? Oh, I mean, totally. And- oh, man. You get the one of those little ones, they crawl right up your nose and just, oh. <laughs> Couldn't handle it, man. Uh, you know, we've been having some really good episodes lately. So you know what I think we should do? Hmm. I think we should have a crappy episode. All right. Let's do it. Let's do it. <laughs> Welcome to the podcast, everyone. My name is Mark Chappie, your friendly neighborhood podcast cruise director. As here always with my good friend, my pastor, my boss. And there it is. <laughs> you know, you are just more comforting than a painless trip to the dentist. Can I just say that? <laughs> this is questions you never thought you could ask in church. The only podcast you'll ever need. The podcast your mother warned you about. Oh, boy. What you guys do is hop on our website, questions you never thought you could ask in church.com. Hit us up on social media at can ask in church. Ask your questions. I grab them. I go through them, all of them. It's a lot of fun. There are some great questions that come in, some really interesting ones and some not so interesting, but I pick them out and I sit down with Dave. I invite him into my, my home and say, Dave, let's record a podcast. <laughs> <laughs> so Dave. Please never say it in that voice again. <laughs> You didn't like that voice. You know, I was on the website uh, just a couple days ago again. You know, uh-huh. you still have the free beer tab. Oh, is there. the free beer still up there? It's still up there. Oh, yeah. Gosh, I remember I... we got that question maybe uh, yeah. six, seven episodes ago. So apparently I haven't been on the website in a while. <laughs> or you're not paying attention <laughs> to that tab. Oh, uh, I guess not. I'll have to change that again to, to free soda or something. I don't know. We'll see. Are you going to get free soda? You haven't get free beer. You disappointed that well, one guy who... I know. Well, to everyone who hasn't gone to the website in a while and haven't seen the free beer link... Go there and click on it. Don't you think, Dave? I think. All right. So what kind of questions do you like to get? I like to get all kinds of questions. In all sincerity, I like to get the questions that that reflect what people are actually wrestling with. When people are asking just sincere questions, whether they, they're questions they've been embarrassed to ask other people, whether they're questions that they've never gotten satisfactory answers for. Right. Um, but but those questions that really kind of gnaw at the soul, whether they're simple answers or, or, or complex theological models, um, 
I want to hear what you're wrestling with. I want to hear what you're thinking about. I want to hear what you're, 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 you're coming up against. And, and I think you'll find out quickly enough that a lot of us have been asking those exact same questions. And a lot of those questions people are asking still. But hopefully in the process, um, a lot of those questions might be uh, ones that you don't realize have really been thought out before and have been written about and, 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 and examined by, by people who, who love and study this kind of thing. And if we can help you on the journey, that's our goal. All right, and we have some good questions lined up today. You ready? All right, let's do it. How do we reconcile Christian urges with safety? For instance, helping stranded motorists or hitchhikers seems like the modern-day Good Samaritan gesture, but it may not be safe to pull over and help them. That's a good question. Yeah. How do we wrestle with that one? Well, more than how do you wrestle with it, how do you how do you... Put it make practice, sense of it yeah. at the end of the day. Yeah. I, I'm going to throw something out here and I'm going to immediately have to contextualize it afterwards. Mm-hmm. But I need to start from this platform. Christians are fundamentally not called to safety. They're called to love. Interesting. And in the name of safety, a lot of us have shirked that which God is calling us to, even though it might result in possibility of harm mm-hmm. or loss. Yeah. Martyrdom is a constant Christian theme. Sure. So I think that has to be our operating procedure. But immediately what I'm not suggesting is that some 23-year-old girl who's driving alone in some you know horrible neighborhood right. pull over and, 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 and do things that are stupid. So put on your brain. How does Jesus put it? Be, be wise as serpents, right? Mm-hmm. True to serpents. Right. Innocent as doves. Um, so we're not called to put our safety necessarily at risk in all situations just to be neighborly. Well, I find that there's often more than two alternatives to a to an issue. Okay. Take the stranded motorist. Mm-hmm. Do I stop and help or do I blow it off? There right. are other alternatives besides stopping and helping. Call a tow truck for him. Call, well, <laughs> yeah. call a cop. Yeah. I mean, right. you know, call roadside emergency. Call anyone. Call. Right. That's not hard to do. Right. Um, obviously what you're looking at on the side of the road is going to dictate, uh, yeah, you, you can't be formulaic with this. We all have to kind mm-hmm. of approach life with a certain sense of wisdom sure. and work it through. Hitchhiker would be, a I would just story. want to say, I think our disposition is always one that should err on the side of loving over self-protectionism. So just make a judgment call in the moment. Yeah, you have to and be smart. I mean, by, by no means am I indicating here, be stupid about this. So don't pick up hitchhikers when you're driving past the, <laughs> the correctional the facility. Correctional facility, if you're alone. <laughs> See, I think that sounds awesome. Actually, I mean, wouldn't you be all about that? Oh, it's so funny. Actually, my daughter goes down to uh, school downstate, and it's near Galesburg, and there's actually a federal yeah. federal penitentiary there. Yeah. And literally, when you're driving on the highway passing it, there's a sign. There's signs that say, "Do not pick up hitchhikers." Right. Right. <laughs> right. It's so yeah. funny. I'm like, yeah. oh yeah, good idea. Especially yeah. the ones in orange. Yeah, God calls you to love. God doesn't call you to be stupid. So figure out how to navigate that and wrestle through some of those issues. I mean, it, yeah. yeah. So there's no, there doesn't have to be a conflict for you. No, no, no not all the internally. time. Sometimes there will be a yeah. conflict. Yeah. Uh, of course there will. But just challenge yourself to think a little more deeply about it in other ways that you can truly help someone. Right. Besides the two alternatives presented in every single case. I mean, that. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know where to take it beyond that. Yeah. Don't feel compelled to beat yourself up that you've created this grave sin if you didn't feel it was safe picking up a hitchhiker. Yeah. But 
call and get the guy a lift. Yeah. I mean, if it's <laughs> on your conscience, <laughs> you know, and, and you're alone in the car and you're worried about it. Yeah. But, but you know, I mean, I remember this one time and I mean, uh, it, it's amazing what God can do in situations if we're willing to risk. And again, I got to contextualize this by saying things can go bad. And I realize that. Yeah. And, and you need to be smart about it, especially if you're alone. But we were driving uh, out to my wife's family, which is Northeast Indiana, mm-hmm. which of course takes you through 9094, you know, Dan Ryan oh, down yeah. around Chicago. And we all love that. You know, when you go to the Badlands yep. down in that area and you know, on the highway, it's no big deal. Mm-hmm. But then when you're looking at your like gas gauge and <laughs> you, you go, know, you realize it's now. like three miles to empty and you're at like 63rd street. Yeah. So I remember, you know, we're getting off the Dan Ryan, I think it was around 63rd or 75th or something. I mean, th- this is a rough area yeah. for those who are unfamiliar with that, that section of Chicago. Yeah. You know, it was daylight. I was 20 years old, maybe mm-hmm. 21. My uh, now wife, fiance at the time and her little brother who was like middle school or like <laughs> ninth grade was, yeah. was in the car. We had to get gas and, you know, you pull up to the gas station and it's, it's chain linked off. I mean, yeah. bulletproof glass. I mean, yeah. You trade money through the window. I mm-hmm. mean, it, you know, it was daylight and, you know, we just stuck out. I mean, yeah. And sure enough, this 20, 20 year old, year old black man comes up to us and goes, Hey, uh, says something. I'm like, kind of like freaking out a little bit in the moment mm-hmm. and, and not even kind of registering it. And, and so, so can you give me a ride? And wow. you're just kind of like stuck in this moment going, what do we do? And he had a backpack and Interesting. I'm like, wow hop in and you're like, God, let this go. well, (laughs) You know, and, uh, having faith in the moment that it was the right decision. Just responding. Yeah. Come to find out he was just robbed. Wow. And you know, he's asking me to take him to the police station. Wow. You know, now again, that could have gone several different ways, but it's also something that's, that's a reminder to me of how I make sometimes these judgment calls based on an area and, and what I perceive is going to happen there and, and differences between me and the other person. And mm-hmm. the, you know, this this poor guy just got robbed by someone else in the same bed area and just needed a hand and we're not called to self protectionism, but again, we're not called to be stupid. So, so love with love with wisdom and figure it out and be smart. Yeah. Number two. Were you gonna cough or sneeze? Sneeze. Oh, you can you can sneeze if you want. It's you gone. Oh wait, it's gone. <laughs> turn turn around and look into the sun. It's gone. Look Even if you look into the sun, what does that yeah. do with anything? Oh, seriously, you don't. Know, if you're about to sneeze, if, if it's like caught, if you look into the sun, you'll sneeze. Yeah. Legit. Yeah. Yeah. I'm gonna, I'm gonna yeah. Start try, trying that. Yeah. Try yeah. that. No, yeah, it's true. I, I can't even see the sun. I know. Well, sometimes it's just the glare from the sun. All right. Yeah. I don't know. Weird stuff. Very weird. Number two. When Jesus says, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. Is he telling us that we should be asking God more often for things or just that we can ask him because God provides? I think it's certainly an implied should. Yeah. I mean, he's, he's inviting us to seek God with the needs of our life. And that of course even goes beyond the material needs, but to seek him mm-hmm. and that God is a God who will respond. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Certainly there's an implied should. That's an example of a short question with a short yeah. answer. Yeah, it is. Here's one from the website. 
What did Jesus mean when he said, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest? I like that question, actually. It's... I do too, but I'm almost afraid to unpack it because I think the poetry of it speaks truer than any it. kind of yeah. prose that I will give. Look, I'm just going to kind of ask you, are, are, are you weary and burdened? Yeah. What does it mean, though, he'll give us rest from our weary and our burdens? Here's the best way I can answer that. Okay. Try it and find out. Wow. I guess at that point in myself defining what my own rest is. Well, and well, let's let's actually get the passage yeah, accurately. What, what is it from? And it's at a, it's Matthew ten or or the very or is it Matthew eleven? I think it's okay. the very end of Matthew ten. Okay. And um, I'll read it word for word. I'm using an NIV right here, and uh, you know, sorry, it is Matthew eleven. It's the very end of Matthew eleven. Okay. It says, at that time, Jesus said, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you have hidden these things that the, uh, from the wise and the learned and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for that was your good pleasure. All things have been committed to me by my Father. No one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son and those to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. So after all that, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest. Mark, for what? Fill it in. You know it from heart, I think. Because I'm tired. No, you will find rest, <laughs> rest for, for your souls. Yep. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. Man's soul rest is really... There's been a lot of people who have really drawn out the rabbinic idea that each rabbi had a yoke, mm-hmm. and a yoke was his set of interpretations or teaching. And that, of course... Um, well, well, think about it like, you know, maybe a physical fitness plan. You go to one personal trainer and they have this regiment and you go to another personal trainer and they have that regiment. Right. And some are like excruciating, like Navy SEALs kind of, you know, prep. Yeah. And, and others are like, oh, okay, let's like walk the, yeah. the track sure. like for five minutes or something like that. And that Jesus, of course, being a rabbi, had a yoke as well. Right. A, a set of teachings. And in the burdens um, and difficulties that people find in following God and in even of other rabbinic thinking of the day, if I can use that term a bit anachronistically, mm-hmm. um, nonetheless, Jesus is inviting to a way of far less religious burden. Oh, interesting. Now I, I don't think it does enough justice. I just, th- I do think it is a point worth taking, mm. but I think it goes deeper than that. I, and, and this has been one of the most powerful passages to people who are just burdened by life, burdened by themselves, Mm -hmm. right? Oh yeah. Weary with life, weary with their situation, weary with their personal condition, be it an internal or an external condition and have found uh, amazing peace, contentment, joy, um, meaning, um, rest, (laughs) rest and all it entails in Christ and, and, even a, a literal good night's sleep because of it. <laughs> right. Um, oh, yeah. I, I get that. You, you know, I, I don't think I need to explain this to someone who has ever felt it. I think his words speak far better than any explanation I can give. Yeah. And I love I love hearing the concept of the easy yoke in comparison to the of other rabbis, meaning... I could see that, okay, here's all these complexities, all these complexities that these other teachers may have. That's the context behind which Jesus is saying, hey, listen, 
my yolk is easy. I'm not talking about over easy eggs, <laughs> not that kind of yolk, but in comparison, just in general, You've seen how crazy life is. Well, and what's fascinating about this, too, is that this passage comes on the heels of both Jesus commissioning his disciples or apostles to go out in his name with a lot of warnings of what's going to happen to them and what they're going to face because Mm -hmm. of bearing his name, Mm -hmm. followed by a discussion of John the Baptist, who, of course, finds himself in the clinking without a head because of (laughs) Jesus' name. But but, but, but not to minimize this, but even more than that, just the daily pressures and weight and burden of being a, a prophet or, or being apostles of, of the kingdom. And, and so it's a very neat juxtaposition of how coming off of this call to discipleship or, or witnessing this call to discipleship, yeah. he's nonetheless going, I'm not here to work you like an ox to death. I'm not here. My purpose in you is not to use you as human chattel hmm. to do my work, to further my cause without regard of what happens to you. Hmm. Right. A lot of corporations yeah. exist that way. A lot of kings exist that way. Yeah. A lot of, of, of leaders of organizations exist that way. Right. Jesus way is much different. He, he's no, no, come to me, mm. come to me, uh, you who are weary and burdened, because I know that this task is wearisome and burdensome in various ways, but you will find rest for your souls. My way is easy. My yoke is, is light. It, it, you know, there, yeah. it, there's something cool in that to me. There's a profound beauty in that. There is. There really is. Here's a question I don't really understand. Would you like it? But you might. Let's see what we can do. All right. This one came in on the website from somebody named Tina who lives in Hebron. I bet she's hot. (laughs) Just so there's no confusion, Dave doesn't say that about anyone. (laughs) <laughs> We're assuming this is his wife. Wouldn't it be great if it isn't? I mean, <laughs> oh, just. Gosh. <laughs> oh, gosh. I don't know if great would be the right word. We, we technically don't live in Hebron, so, you know. Uh, yeah, all right. all right. Okay. All right. What's my wife sending me here? I'm a little afraid right now. I, I am too. And again, I'm posing this just because <laughs> she's asking. And, you know, when Tina asks, you got to answer. This is like the first time we haven't had an so, anonymous, uh, you know? <laughs> I know. And to, there may be a reason, because I don't know if there's subtext to this, cause, or there's just a word missing. Oh, I'm quite sure there's subtext. <laughs> so, Dave, here's a question from Tina. Okay. How long did Cain kill his brother? Excuse me? How How long did <laughs> that's literally Cain kill? That's like word for word? Word for word. Honey, I don't know what you're asking. (laughs) Which is probably the answer you get to a lot of the questions you bring my way. (laughs) Let me try to stick a few words in there. Um, How long did it take Cain to kill his brother? Well, that's kind of how I read it, which... (laughs) Or how long ago did Cain kill kill his his brother? brother, Or or like how long after Cain and Abel were in existence did they... Yeah. Did Cain kill his brother? Do you feel like answering any of those nuances? Or do we just go on and you solve this one by yourself at home? (laughs) Yeah, right. No kidding. (laughs) No kidding. Exactly. You know, to my knowledge, Tina, in nowhere does it actually say... um, 
answer definitively any of those questions. Now we can infer that Cain and Abel are adults. So they had grown up together. I mean, they were born biologically as babies. I mean, this is not Adam and Eve formed out of, you know, the ground kind of thing. Um, So, I mean, you're dealing with people who are old enough to tend flocks and watch over fields and stuff like that. So, Oh, okay. Cain and and Abel were Adam and Eve's sons. That's the best we can do there. I mean, whether that means they're 15 years old or 150 years old, I I have no clue. Right. Um, you, you, You know, how does he put it? He says, let's go out to the field. And while they're in the field, he attacks him and kills him. I mean, are they out there duking it out in an epic struggle that, that, you know, like Highlander that like, I'm like, sure, <laughs> hey, I'm sure you fantasize about this. Mm, what did that look like? And it's probably gruesome. But and- <laughs> I, my suspicion is it was probably fairly quick. Yeah. You know, I don't know. They, I mean, really most, any, a lot of weapons. I mean, bludgeon him with a rock, maybe, or right? uh, your your rock, your uh, your fists, a tree branch. I mean, <laughs> y- you know, people could sharpen sticks. I mean, <laughs> I think we tend to think of these these folks as being like prehistoric in the sense of like <laughs> y- you know not having like language capacity or, or the ability to fashion tools or something. I mean, <laughs> but we're pretty sure they weren't using modern day firearms. I I, I think that's a safe yeah. assumption. Yeah, but you know how he murdered him. He attacked him somehow and. This is a really weird topic. It is. It is. I'm, I'm fascinated what's behind this question. So, Tina, we uh, we welcome your follow-up <laughs> question to help guide us on this path. Oh, gosh. Let's move on. Moving on. In Mark 7, Jesus says, It is not right to take the children's bread and toss it to the dogs. Does that mean we should stop feeding dogs table scraps? <laughs> So what is Jesus referring to here? In Mark chapter 7, I don't believe it's actually Jesus who says it. It's the woman he's... Uh... Oh, no, Jesus says it in relation to the woman. Yeah. Right. The Syrophoenician woman comes to Jesus and asks for, uh, you know, mercy. for. Okay. Isn't it for her son specifically? I think I'm so. I'm turning but the yeah, story right now just to make sure I get the exact context. And here it is. It's Mark 7 verse 24. Jesus left that place and went to the vicinity of Tyre, which is coming out of uh, Israel to the north. It's getting up into, uh, shall we say, pagan lands. Mm -hmm. And he entered a house and did not want anyone to know it, yet he could not keep his presence secret. A common problem in Mark. Um, So as soon as uh, she heard about him, a woman whose little daughter was possessed by an evil spirit fell at his feet. And and it says that the woman was a Greek born in Syrian Phoenicia. So she's not of Israel. She's not um, a Jew. She begged Jesus to drive the demon out of her daughter. First, let the children eat all they want, he told her, for it is not right to take the children's dog bread and toss it to their dogs. Oh, it's just this like, oh, oh you know. that Now that's a smackdown. Yeah, but you know what's great? Is that she rises to the oh, challenge. Yeah, she, yeah. Yes, Lord, she replied. And every English translation I see has done it this way. But even the dog under the table eats the children's crumbs, which when I put it that way, it makes huh. it sound like it's a, yeah, but it's, it's like, I gotcha. Right, you you sure. know, she's, she's countering him. Um, the word is four. Not, but not, but it's four. Yeah. So give me a four. Yes, Lord. She replied for even the dogs under the table, eat the children's crumbs. That definitely changes the. It does change the nuance. Yeah. It, it, it's less of a challenge and more of a submission 
Hmm. that nonetheless still includes it's a, her. So, it's a strong so, submission. It, it is a strong submission, but it, but it's nuanced very differently. And Jesus is floored by this. It's, it's what I love about the story. He's like, he's like surprised by it. He's blown. He's like, it's like, you can like, almost hear Jesus going, touche. You right, know? right. High five right? on that one. <laughs> so then he told her, for such a reply, you may go. The demon has left your daughter. She went home and found her child lying on the bed and the demon gone. Wow. Yeah, and, and what you see is that Jesus had a specific mission. And, and Matthew, I think, even draws this out more clearly than Mark. You'll find this the same story paralleled there. Okay. And uh, he's very clear in, in the Gospel of Matthew that I'm called to the lost sheep of Israel. Jesus' focus is right. going to Israel. Not as the end goal, not as the end mission, not as the, the totality of God's purposes. But his life on but earth. But that's Jesus' focus. Right. And, and it's fascinating because... Jesus, who has the power to do all good everywhere, all the time, mm -hmm. just like us, finds himself in a place where he can't be all places doing everything. He <laughs> right. has a mission. Right. He has that one thing. And it's for that Israel. That he focuses on, and it's for Israel. And through that, of course, there's going to be salvation for the world and the spreading of the God. Right. Okay. I, I, that's the ultimate end goal, like yeah, you said, but that's yeah, so, not his But what we're getting ahead mission. Yeah. of the step yeah. right now. And um, so this non-Israelite comes in who needs something from Jesus. And he's it's, like, hey, he's no, trying I'm to keep a secret. You. He's yep. trying to lay low and, and this is blowing cover. And <laughs> I'm not I'm not getting involved in this one. Yeah. And does it by restating to her what his mission is. And she gets, I have to give my energy, my effort, my bread, if yeah. you will, to the children first. The, the children of Israel. Yeah. And she's saying, you know what? Even those crumbs that fall off, that's yeah. going to be enough for I just my want daughter. a crumb. And, it, and it's inevitable. And I know it just pours out of you. So, <laughs> so that's all I'm asking for here, Jesus. And she's like, like, all right, you got yeah, me. You got, it, you got, you got me. It. It's right, great. Yeah. It's a fantastic uh, story, isn't it? Yeah. It's, it's really wonderful. Do you ever think people pray like that? Like what? Like, Lord, give me your scraps? Or. Yeah, yeah, I'm just kind of thinking this out loud, but but Lord, give me the scraps. But I'm thinking about more when when people find themselves praying for something in the face of what what seems like impending no's. Hmm. So, you know, Lord, I know your your purpose isn't this per se, but I really wanted. And I know there's enough to go around, so you know, even the dogs get the, the crumbs. So wow. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. I, I don't know. If I I don't know. It, it's it's fascinating to think about, isn't it? Yeah, it really is. Helps put into context, like, Lord, I know there's a lot of big things going on in this world. There's a lot of pain. There's a lot of agony. There's war. There's famine and there's pestilence. And But I have a little heartache. Can, yeah. you, can you take care of that? I know you can take care of that. Just uh, just a little bit on the side would be great. Yeah, just give me some crumbs, Lord. <laughs> oh, I love that. I, I'd eat scraps from your table any day. Any crumbs of yours. What is it? Better is one day in your courts than a thousand elsewhere. Is that psalm? Yeah. Yeah. You know, better is the crumbs from the Lord's table than the banquet of the, the, the kings of this world. Man, I like that. And isn't it cool, too, how her answer is not defiant in terms of her self-perception? This passage has bothered yeah. a lot of people because it, it, it begs a certain inequality. It yeah. begs um, a, a, a lack of, you could say, like women's rights or, or you know, favoritism really? towards. Uh, there's a huh. lot of ways that that in our very rights oriented culture today people want to demand that oh so they thought this was like me. a sexist thing or something no 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 i, I don't oh. think it is in context but i'm saying in, in today's context this often I, I think it's difficult for people because right she doesn't try to elevate herself out of 
any position. Oh, and I'm not saying because she's a she. I see what you're she's saying. She's just like, no, I understand that's your priority and that's a second and that yeah. Israel are the chosen people and I'm not. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. It's not how dare you, God. It's a... <laughs> it's no, I get it. But Lord... Yeah. I'm, I'm here too and yeah. I'd love a... Love a little something. Yeah. A little something, something. Yeah, from something the table. That, 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 this posture of just humility. Um, yeah. A wise humility, a very <laughs> tactfully played humility, but, but nonetheless, a, a yeah. just, you know, humility that's kind of, whoa. Yeah. Kind of cool. Good. Did we hit, the, uh, did we hit the, the spirit of that question there, Mark? I think we did. Okay. Thanks. Here's one that came in from the website. It's a little bit longer, but I'll read the whole thing. Because if I didn't, it wouldn't make any sense. <laughs> Tomorrow you wake up and the world is in perfect harmony. There are no possessions, not even clothing. No one is in need. Everyone is being a shepherd of the earth. We all love God and we treat our neighbors as we would have them treat us. We work six days a week and rest on the seventh. After work, we sustain ourselves and procreate as much as possible. (laughs) (laughs) We pray to our loving God at every opportunity. That would appear to be the perfect world under Christianity. Is that description of the world the way you want the world to be? And if not, why? I'm laughing because through <laughs> this this description, it's fascinating for me to hear whoever submitted the question. Thank you for this. But it's fascinating for me to hear what your view of perfect harmony looks like. I think it's a view of the Garden of Eden is what it uh, sounded like. Uh, well, none of us have seen the Garden of Eden. Right. So it's fascinating to me what ideas we're importing and choosing to right. describe perfect harmony. Right. So if it's the if it's the picture of the Garden of Eden, how come work is never mentioned? Yeah. That is one of the few explicit things mentioned in the Garden of Eden. And yet nothing in that description mentions work. So is this... Here? Yeah, we work six days a week and rest oh, on the Oh, okay. Seven. Forgive yeah, me. That was in there. Forgive yeah. me. That was in yeah. there. Okay. My apologies yeah. out there. But nonetheless, some of these assumptions... I think you understand assumptions, the spirit of the question. I understand yeah. the spirit, but that's yeah. exactly what I'm challenging mm-hmm. in this because... This person is laying out a picture definitively mm-hmm. of what harmony looks like. Yeah. And it's an incomplete picture and arguably even an incorrect mm-hmm. picture. So to ask the question of whether that's what I want the world to look like, well, I would say to that in part, but now I'm saying in part to your version, not to God's version of what perfect harmony looks like there's a lot of things left out of that yeah. that need to be in there and there's quite honestly some other things that are in there that maybe should be why is the idea of no possessions equated with perfect harmony right i think that's influenced more by john lennon than by jesus <laughs> you could be right i think there's a lot of people who you hear this sometimes we have to get back to the garden and there's almost this view within christianity that at creation, before the fall of humanity, before sin entered the, the the scene, it was, I don't want to say perfect yet, I'll get right to that in a second, but that was where the harmony was. It was That's very where good. It was very, very good. And we talked about this on a previous episode, I think, what perfection was and what it isn't. And, you know, I used to mistakenly teach all the time the same idea that what, what eschatology or end times or, or, or God's final purpose is about is getting back to the garden. And right. it works, it works fine as a shorthand, if it's understood properly, but I've started to get away from it. And the reason why is because I'm finding some of these misconceptions coming along with it. Too confusing. God's goal was never to stay in the garden. 
The right. garden was meant to be built upon. The garden was meant to be developed. The garden was the start of something, not the end of something. So to go back to the garden is actually to go in the wrong direction. Yeah. And I- it, it, it's like grown adults who wish that they could be three-year-old children again. Because when they think of themselves being three-year-old children again, it comes with it this, this, these ideas of safety and comfort and, and a life free of burden and, and, and all these things that their, their early childhood invoked yeah. that they no longer have. When all the while God is saying, the goal is not to just go back to being three. It's to say, how do I take the best of what was three and bring it into 43 and 63 yeah. and 83, but developing on that, not just sticking or staying stuck. So heaven post-resurrection isn't necessarily going to be a bunch of naked people running around. (laughs) It'd be a fascinating view of heaven, wouldn't it? All right. I think we have time for one more question. And this is going to be a pretty complex one that may need some setup. So what I'm going to do is I'm just going to read what it says first. Sure. And then um, we'll start to unpack it a little bit, okay? This one comes in from the 815, um, actually from Crystal Lake. And whoever submitted this, their favorite pizza topping is cheese. Ready? Yeah. Take a good look at Pascal's wager. Remove eternal punishment from the matrix. What results is this. One, you believed, you died, and either you got to heaven or nothing happened. Two, you believed, you died and nothing happened. So do you believe that without the threat of eternal punishment, Christianity would exist? If so, why? Beginning with original sin, it seems that Judeo-Christianity is punishment-based. That seems quite harsh to me. Why not instead do this? Do good things and you'll be rewarded by God. Don't do good things, you you won't be rewarded. Is scaring people into having faith really about having faith, or is it more about hedging your bet? <laughs> There's a lot in this. There is a you lot. You see what I'm saying? Yeah. Um, yeah. So I think first thing we should probably do for folks is unpack Pascal's wager a little bit. So Blaise Pascal, 17th century philosopher, basic argument is since it's not possible to prove or disprove that God exists it's better to bet that God does exist. Is that a good summary? Of, yeah, I think that's a great summary uh, of, of the it. entire thing. Yeah. And he puts forth three points. If God exists and a person believes in God, they would be rewarded with a trip to heaven, happiness forever, how you want to define it. Two, if a person doesn't believe, they would be punished, hell, eternal damnation, whatever you want to call it. Three, if God doesn't exist, it wouldn't make a difference. So you might as well believe in God. That's the philosophical argument. Yeah. So now going back to the question, Mm -hmm. the first part of the question is talking about taking the eternal punishment quotient out. And I'm not sure why. I I think it's actually an interesting thought experiment, what this person is doing. So the result would be if you took that whole concept of hell out of the equation, the result would be you believed you died, either got to heaven or nothing happened, right? You believed you died or you never believed, you died, and nothing happened. So the point being made is, is Christianity eternal punishment based? And right, why? right. And, and as I heard the question too, it, it seems that this person is wrestling with this, this idea that it's a rewards 
punishment based system. Right. Yeah. And, and I think internally struggling with that. I'm glad to see that struggle. Yeah. Because it's it's really a distortion of what Christianity is about. Christianity mm-hmm. is not a rewards punishment based system, despite the fact that there's rewards Reward and, and punishment, punishments. Right. But but and that's I think not, that's where the confusion comes. Yeah, sometimes. yeah. It's not the foundation, even though it's it's part of the the milieu of of, of what the Christian worldview is. So to, let let's take these in various kinds. Um, is there enough blessing in Christianity? removing hell from the equation to warrant a relationship with God? And the answer is absolutely. Yeah. Uh, you're getting at the heart of what Christianity is always meant to be. Getting rid of... The, yeah. Uh, yeah, it, it is fundamentally based in a relationship with God. And the relationship with God should be enough in its own right, because when you love someone, yeah. it doesn't matter what it costs you or what what makes sense or or what's in it for you. You love someone, you give yourself to someone, and that is the heart of Christianity. Mm-hmm. God loved you, he gave himself for you. You love God, you give yourself for God. And to start talking about rewards and punishments gets as dirty as when when married couples start talking about what they do for each other because of what they're going to get out of it. It's like suddenly you've missed the whole point of your marriage, yeah, yeah. even though there are practical realities that play out that way. Right, um, but it's not a scorecard. It's not a scorecard. It it's never meant card. to be a scorecard. Right. And as soon as you make a scorecard, you fundamentally uh, move away from what it actually is and turn it into something else. Moving away from the spirit of what it's uh, The intended? spirit of it is, but also the reality of what it is. I mean, look at a couple who lives with a scorecard kind of relationship or, or mm-hmm. gives love based on what they return. Well, love isn't really there. You have a sham of love. You have... You have the prop of love, the illusion of love. You have all these other things, and you're missing the heart and soul core, despite mm. the fact that you might be getting good things out of someone. Right. So the short answer is, if you remove hell from the equation, of course there is. And and you're starting to get closer to the heart of what it's all about. And then secondly, however, I would also challenge it by saying, but you can't remove hell from the equation. So sure. at some level, it becomes a, a an, an artificial mental exercise mm-hmm. because what we're talking about here is not philosophical ideas we're talking about reality mm-hmm. and sadly our culture has divorced the two when they were never meant to be divorced right philosophy is always about figuring out reality mm-hmm. or at least it should be and yeah. the reality is if god is the source of all life goodness joy peace Hope, not something that he gives like he has like a bank account of it or is hoarding it somewhere in a pile that he doles to those, but it actually is him. It emanates from him. Mm. Well, to be separated from God by logical extension means to be separated from all good things. Well, welcome to what the real definition of hell is and not the caricatures that you've gotten out of like the far side cartoons from the eighties or, <laughs> or, you know, cartoons from the sixties or, oh, yeah. you know, what Dante or something like that. Yeah. Remove. Yeah. Removing that cease to exist, I guess, if you're separated from God. Interesting. So what else did we have in there that we had to uh, yeah, play I out mean, or, or did we capture it? Um, no, I, I think we captured most of it. Do we believe that without the threat, oh, maybe it comes down to the threat. I think that's kind of the word to Keenan. Is it the threat of eternal punishment? I wonder if people would struggle as much as if, if we, rep- if we replaced the word threat with the word warning. Hmm. 
Would you agree that a threat and a warning are are oh, yeah. are, are, are absolutely nuanced different. differently? Yeah, probably the same thing. Just like you said, nuanced differently. You know, you're either being threatened, hey, you're going to go to hell if you don't believe, or hey, listen, you don't I'm go to hell. You. Wait, wait, wait. Well, you don't go to hell because you don't believe, and that's another misconception. That I'm putting comes it in modern day parlance. Yeah. I, I understand, but I need yeah. to I, I need to address it right away because it leads to all oh, kinds of good. false conclusions. Yeah, good point. You go to hell. Because you are far from God, because you have fallen short of God's glory, because you've turned your back on God. Yeah. And it's like saying, my face gets cold when I turn away from the campfire and look the other way. Yeah. Of course it gets cold. <laughs> right? Uh, right. So you don't... go to hell because you turn away from God and therefore turn away from all goodness. People don't know what hell is anymore. Right. It, it, it's so confused. And, and then the caricatures of it get imported into these strange philosophical systems that they create in their mind. And you suddenly end up with this, this, this distorted version of Christianity that isn't the heart and soul of what it is at all. Well, I think we should probably wrap this up. But I feel bad for not giving you a question, so I'll just make one up. Ready? Here's Mark's no. question. Mark's question. Um, how old are you? Yeah, I said before. All right. Well, thanks for listening, everybody. Been a great episode, I think. No, that was stupid to say. That's being pretty uh, presumptuous, isn't you it? You actually went into this episode going it was going to be a bad one. Did I really? Yeah. Well, thanks for listening, everyone. This has been a really bad episode. My name is Mark. <laughs> and I'm still here. We uh, thank you for all the questions. Please keep them coming in. Questions you never thought you could ask in church.com. Oh, by the way, did you know? I actually, I registered um, questions.world. So we didn't had, know there was a dot world. I, apparently there is. So okay. you guys can go to questions.world. It's a lot easier to <laughs> type out. That'll redirect you to our website. Interesting. All Ask right. your questions. Rate us on iTunes, please. And Dave, why don't you say goodbye to folks? Yeah, we just want to thank you again, whatever your questions might be, from the simple to the arcane to the complex to the deeply personal to the theoretical. We welcome them in. Like Mark said, questions you never thought you could ask in church.com or questions.world will both get you to us. Um, really, thanks for the question you're submitting and putting yourself out there. We hope this is helpful for you today. We hope it was a good episode for you and that uh, you learned a lot or at least got uh, a little more clarification of some things. And uh, we'll see you next time. You know what we're going to do next time? Hmm. Speed round. Speed round. Probably making you burp a little bit. <laughs> we gotta get the cough buttons on these. I know. Well, as long as you put a little pause before and after your cough, I can <laughs> I edit suppose, it out. I suppose. <laughs> Just don't cough in the middle of a sentence. Weird stuff. Very weird.